Father, uh, again, as we come to Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 6 today, and we look at the great flood where uh, you destroyed all the inhabitants of the, the earth except for Noah and uh, his family and uh, all the animals that were spared, Lord. We just, we look at this judgment and, and Lord, uh, you know, we, we, there's no way we can look at this and, and claim this as some kind of act of nature, Lord. It had to be an act of God. It had to be something that you did. Lord, and you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so, Lord, we can learn a lot about how you operate and how you're going to operate and why you operate the way you do uh, through texts like these. And so, Lord, I ask that you open our eyes and ears. And, and Lord, we, we can't let the media or the world tell us who you are. We have to learn who you are through your word. And we have to believe who you are by what you tell us about yourself in your word. And so, Lord, we're going to learn a little bit about you in this, this chapter and uh, some uh, uh, an attribute of you that some people don't particularly like, but you have a reason to be the way you are. Thank goodness you're the way you are, Lord, uh, that you loved us so much that uh, you, we all deserved your wrath, and yet you put your wrath, our, the wrath we deserved on our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you for our, the word, Lord, and we ask you to bless this study by your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Most insurance policies, if you look at the policy careful, has a clause for what they call acts of God. And in that policy, they distinguish between acts of God that they cover and acts of God that they don't cover. Uh, What's an act of God? It's a natural disaster outside of human control. Human beings have nothing to do with it. Things like tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and floods and, and earthquakes. Uh, insurance, some insurance policies cover earthquakes, some don't. To have flood insurance, you have to buy a rider from the government because nobody wants to cover floods. It's interesting, though, that they're called in these insurance policies, or at least they used to be called, <coughs> acts of God. Now, why were they called acts of God? That makes God seem kind of cruel, that he would send a tornado, uh, that he would send a flood, that he would send a hurricane. I mean, does God actually do that? Well, I'll tell you what. In the early years of this country and during the Reformation, the Reformation, the Reformers actually believed that God was in every natural disaster that took place on this earth. Uh, now, there's a movement today uh, in the insurance uh, industry to remove the phrase act of God from the policy and replace it with an act of nature or even worse an act of mother nature now, I got to tell you there is no such thing as mother nature if you believe in mother nature I have some swamp land down south of here I want to talk to you about I mean there's no such thing as mother nature uh, so, uh, there's these people and the, and the reason that people are trying to take this thing act of God out of the insurance industry is because they don't believe in a God who would cause such natural disasters. Actually, they don't even believe in a God who has control over nature. 
They don't even believe in a God who could stop a natural disaster if he wanted to. I mean, everything you, every day on the news now we hear about global warming. Let me tell you what, it might be getting warmer. I mean, actually warmer is better than getting colder. I remember when I was growing up, they were, the thing they were trying to scare us with was the coming ice age that was coming upon the earth. Now it's global warming that they're trying to scare us with. But if there is global warming, it's not coming from the emissions of our cars. And I'm not saying we shouldn't control the emissions of our cars. I mean, I'm all for a clean environment. But that's not what's causing the earth to get warmer. It's warmer on Mars than it was before. And I, certainly our emissions aren't going to Mars. And so uh, uh, what we see, if the earth warms or if it cools, what we're seeing is an act of God. Now, whenever you begin to create a God in your own image or in your own making, what do we call that? We call that idolatry. And that's exactly, let me tell you what, this Christian nation is not a Christian nation. Obama was right about one thing, maybe two, if you can figure it out. But he was right about one thing, and that was that this is not a Christian nation. This is not a Christian nation. We are an idolatrous nation. We have created a God of our own liking. What kind of God do we like? A God that allows us to be as wicked as we want to be. That's the kind of God we have created in the United States of America and throughout the world. And and when we see this one world religion come into place, it's going to be a religion that adopts every God and every belief. And it is going to be nothing more than an idolatrous religion. And that's what we see in the making right now. Uh, But... uh, uh, and, and I understand why a lot of people wouldn't believe that God's in natural disasters because God is a loving God. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. But God is also a righteous and holy God. And he is a long-suffering God. And he suffers with us until there comes a point where he will suffer no more, and that's when he sends judgment upon the earth. Now, now, none of us escape judgment. Let me tell you, if you're in this room, you're going to be judged by God. And every single one of us deserve to die. You remember when that tower fell, and they were asking Jesus about those people that died in the tower. It's almost as if Jesus said to them, hey, you're lucky you weren't on it. Because you deserve to die every bit as much as they deserve to die. And that's the way God sees all of us. And there's only grace in Jesus Christ. And and so all of us are living under judgment. What does Paul, what does the author of Hebrews say? He says it's appointed for men once to die. And then what? The judgment. Judgment for everybody. I mean, the only way you escape judgment is for Christ to have taken your judgment on the cross, and you have to appropriate his death for your sin in order uh, to be spared of that judgment. Now, as we come to chapter 6 here, as we come back to Genesis in chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse number 11 and 12, and we're going to see the greatest judgment this world has ever seen on this earth. And look at this. I mean, this is God doing this. 
And I want you to see this in this text. And we want to pick up in verse 11 as, as uh, Moses rehearses why God judged the earth with a flood. So look in verse number 11. It says, the earth, was, the earth also was corrupt before God. A better translation there is the earth was rotten before God. You know, this past week, when I saw Muslims being sworn in our Congress, and I saw this witch, uh, lesbian, and I, you know, I, I mean, lesbians could be saved. If you're a lesbian, I, I'm not picking on you. But, but to glorify all of that, I, I, you know what? And I see some of the things they're trying to pass in Congress already. Now, Pelosi's in charge. And this country is rotten. It is corrupt. It is rotten. Now, there's an element. There's a remnant here. And I believe that's why God is sparing this country. But it's rotten. And it's almost rotten to the core. Because even the conservatives are rotten. You know, I love the things Donald Trump's doing for our country, but look at what the man's done in his past. I mean, he's no saint. I mean, I hope he gets reelected. I mean, I'm not going to be political today, but, but personally, I hope he gets reelected. But that's pretty sad to say that. You know, that you would want a man who was a womanizer and done all the things he's done to get reelected. But that's what it's come to in our country we're a corrupt country. And, and so uh, it says here that the earth also was corrupt before God. And whenever a, a society becomes corrupt, why do they co- become corrupt? Because they turn from God. They turn from God into themselves. They serve themselves instead of serving God. And when you don't serve God and you don't love God, you don't have the love of God living in you. And so you become very self-centered. And the, the, the ultimate uh, the, uh, fruit of all of that is violence. People become violent. They become angry, and eventually that anger works itself out in violence. I mean, again, look at the world today and look at all of the violence, how people murder each other. I mean, they'll go up on top of a, of a hotel and, and just shoot people like fish in a pond. I mean, what's our world come to? I mean, it's corrupt. And the earth was, he says, was also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God, at some point, looked upon the earth, and he said it was corrupt, as corrupt as it was going to get. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. They were rotten to the core. Now, there was a genetic aspect to this we looked at in chapter 6, verse number 2, when the sons of God saw the daughters of man and saw that they were beautiful and they had relations with them and bore children with them, and so there was this demonic race of giants. So there was some of that, maybe all of that to some degree. Noah was spared all of that, but the only people that hadn't been corrupted by the violence and wickedness on this earth was Noah and his family. The rest of them were all corrupt, and God says, I've had enough, and I'm going to judge the earth. So look at verse number 13. And the God said to Noah, the end, and I think he said it with a heavy heart, with a really heavy heart. 
I mean, if we could see Jesus, it would be like saying these words. It would be like when he wept over Jerusalem. He said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, now watch this. I will destroy them with the earth. Who's going to do this? Is this going to be an act of Mother Nature? No. This is going to be an act of God. I will destroy them from the earth. And so God now gives uh, Noah instructions for saving himself and saving his family by building an ark. And so it says, beginning in verse number uh, 14, he says to Noah, he says, make yourself an ark. Now, the word ark just means box. It's a wooden box. So this ship is going to be like a big box. He says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now, nobody knows for sure what gopher wood is, but we know it's some type of hardwood that was uh, in existence at that time. It might be something like oak that, that, uh, that uh, just had a different name at that point when this was written. But, but anyway, he says, make yourself an ark out of gopher wood and make rooms. The word room there is literally nest. And you can make stalls and cages for the animals in the ark. And then cover it on the inside and on the outside with tar, with pitch. And obviously, we know why you would do that, to seal it so that you wouldn't, none of the water would come through when it, when, when it was floating on, on top of the floodwaters. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. That's 450 feet because a cubit is about a foot and a half. So that's 450 feet. Its width should be 50 cubits and its height should be 30 cubits. So it was 450 feet long. It would be about 75 feet wide and it would be about 45 feet high. And it says you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it a foot and a half from the very top of the ark. And so there was this window. Personally, I believe it was a window that went all the way around the ark. I, I, we were on a on a cruise to Alaska, sort of like Noah a few years back. You know, we were on a big boat. It wasn't quite the same circumstances. But that's what I want to go. If God tells me he's about to flood the earth, Lord, give me a, just get me a cruise boat, and I'll, I'll, I'll land on that. But anyway, we were on a cruise to Alaska, and, and, and the first deck below, uh, the, or the first level below the deck, was all a window all the way around the ship. So as you walked all the way around the ship, you could see, you know, you could see the sky and you could see the sea. Every once in a while, you could see a whale jumping up and down. And so I think this, little, this window set about a foot and a half below on the, on the first deck, uh, below the top of the ark, and went all around uh, the uh, ark. So that they're, they're going to be on this ark for a year. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, to give them a break, they at least through this window they could see. Now, now notice also here, it says that, that uh, says you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door. Now, that's interesting. Uh, this ark is a type of another ark that we're going to talk about a little later on. And how many doors does it have? It has one door. And that is very uh, prophetic there. The ark only has one door. Of the ark on its side, 
and you shall make it with a lower, a second, and a third deck. All right, so uh, here's this ark, and it's built like this gigantic box, which would be impossible to sink. I mean, you could not sink the ark if you wanted to sink the ark. Uh, no matter how turbulent the waters became in the flood, that ark was not going to sink. You look at that, uh, uh, the engineers have looked at the, the plan of this ark, and, and they've come to the conclusion that it would have been impossible to sink. I don't know, years ago, uh, back in 1912, the Titanic set out on its first voyage, and it was billed as the ship that couldn't sink. Well, it sunk on its very first voyage, but but the Titanic wasn't like this ark. This ark was designed by God, and it was going to be protected by God, and so this ark was not going to sink. All right, now, now listen at verse number 17 and what he says. He says, and behold, he said, he doesn't say, I am bringing flood waters. What does he say? He puts two pronouns there for emphasis. He says, he wants everybody to know for all time. He wants even those people here at Calvary Chapel today, uh, thousands of years later, almost 6,000 years later, he wants you to know that I. He was the one who did this. I myself am, so there's no doubt that this was some natural, that this was a, there's no doubt that this wasn't an act of God. This, there's no doubt that this wasn't an act of, I mean, that this was an act of God and that this wasn't an act of Mother Nature because God says, I myself am bringing the floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, all flesh. Everybody on the earth is going to die. Every animal is going to die. The only animals that are only creatures that are going to be spared are the fish. Good thing they were living in the water because so, they could breathe in the water. But everything else is going to die except for Noah and his family and two of every species, seven of every, we'll see in chapter 7, seven of every clean species. And so he says in verse 17, I myself am bringing the floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And this is not a work of Mother Nature. I myself am bringing this great disaster. Now, if the story ended there, we would all be in deep trouble. But look at verse 18 and how it begins. I love that word. Sometimes, in a good context, but, but, this is one of those good buts, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. But, but, there's coming this great act of God, a flood that's going to destroy every living creature on earth. But, 
another act of God is going to take place. I'm going to establish my covenant with you, my unconditional covenant with you. Uh, uh, I mean, how did Noah escape? I mean, did Noah escape because of his self-righteousness? No. Look back at verse number 8. He said, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That was an act of God. It was an act of God, mercy, that Noah found grace. Uh, and, and if he hadn't have found grace, he would have, his family would have fallen into the wicked state of mankind right along with everybody else. And so, so how did he escape? By an act of God, by an act of God's grace. Now, he instructs him about the animals. And we get some interesting things here in verses 19 and 20. He says, and of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort. Now, we know, again, seven of every clean species. There weren't many clean species, so most of the species were unclean. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be made and they shall be male and female for obvious reasons so they could uh, reproduce, uh, bear young and reproduce once the flood was over. Of the birds of their kind, of the animals after their kind. Isn't that interesting that God rules out evolution right there? Now God's either a liar or evolution is not true. If you believe in evolution... You call God a liar. He, he says, he, he, of birds of, after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you and keep them alive. Come to you so you can keep them alive. They're going to come to you. They're going to come to you. Now, I remember growing up, and everybody taught the story of Noah as if it was some type of fairy tale. And the reason they did that, because they criticized the, the, this account that we get here about the animals on two counts. The first account would be, how could Noah round up two of every type of animal on earth? I mean, what about the polar bear? I mean, how could you get a polar bear to come down from from the North Pole to, his, to the Ark, uh, way down probably somewhere around Israel. How, 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 could he, how could he get that to happen? There were no, there were no poles when, when the Ark was made. Remember, the, the Earth was covered in a water canopy, and, and that created an equilibrium uh, environment where the climate remained the same all throughout the Earth. And so animals of every sort lived in all over the place, but, but you could find polar bears or whatever kind of bear anywhere you went. Uh, actually, a polar bear is, is more of an adaption to, to uh, the cold, but so maybe there were no such thing as polar bears at, bears at that time. They would come after the flood. But anyway, all the animals, all the different types of species were all over the earth, and so it wouldn't have been difficult to get those animals into the ark. Uh, the other count, the other criticism is that the ark wasn't big enough to, to, to handle all the species of the earth and all the food it would take 
to handle all the species of the earth, and some of the animals would be so big that they couldn't get into the ark, they would take up too much space in the ark. Well, you know what? There's some really common sense answers to all of these things. First of all, uh, God, he, he didn't have to round these animals up. Look at what it says. He, it said, God tells Noah in verse 20, he says, two of every kind will come to you. They're going to come to you. Oh, sure. How is God going to get them to come to him? Well, let me tell you something. If you serve a God who's not big enough to get the animals to come to the ark, you're not serving the God of the Bible. You're not serving the God I serve. You're serving a different God. You need a new God. You got the wrong God. There's a little bird in Alaska. It's called the golden plover. Anybody ever heard of that bird? That's one of the, it's got to be the smartest bird around because let me tell you what it does. Every year, it spends its winters, I mean, its summers in Alaska. Can you think of a better place to spend your summer than Alaska? When it gets cold, it heads to Hawaii, and it spends its winters in Hawaii. Now, that is a smart bird, a really smart bird. But it's even smarter than that because let me tell you what it does. It comes to Alaska, and it lays its eggs, and it has its children, its little birdies, little baby birdies. And that bird has to fly those mom and daddy birds They have to fly back to Hawaii, and it takes them 88 hours, 2,500 miles, 88 hours to fly back to Hawaii without food and without water. But but here's what they do, because when they have their little birdies, they decide, you know what, we're not going to have any time on the beach if we take these kids with us. So we're going to leave our kids here. And we're going to fly and then let them find their way. They'll find us in, Ho- in Hawaii. Well, I'm joking about that. The reason they leave their children there, their little birdies there, they've got to get old enough to eat enough food and drink enough water to get it in their system so they can make this 88-hour fl- flight. But the parents leave. How in the world do they find Hawaii in the Pacific Ocean? I mean, then the little babies who've never been there leave and they fly all the way to Hawaii. How do they find it? Because God put it in their little bird brains to find it. That is a miracle of God. And if God can get that little golden plover all the way from Alaska to to Hawaii, back and forth every year, 88-hour flight, 2,500 miles, don't you think he could get a few animals to come into the ark? Or get all the animals to come in the ark? Two of every kind certainly could. I certainly believe in a, that's in a God that can do that. The other critics say there wasn't enough room in the ark. You know what? I, one of the good things that happened when Ken Ham and uh, Answers to Genesis built the ark encounter in Williamsburg, Kentucky, they kind of put that criticism to rest. Because you, I don't know if, you've, if you haven't looked at it, looked, Look online on YouTube and look at that ark. Now, most of the things you're going to find on YouTube are critical. They don't criticize the fact that the animals wouldn't fit on it anymore. They criticize the fact that it was built in the first place, that there was even a global flood. Uh, uh, but, but that is a massive ark. I mean, and it's built to the specifications that God gave Noah here in chapter number 6. The mass of that ark, 
of Noah's Ark is 525 boxcars. Uh, you can put 250 sheep in one boxcar, so you multiply 250 times 525, and that's 130,000 sheep that could have fit on the ark. Now, there are less than 18,000 species of animals on the earth today. Uh, you allow for the animals that have become extinct, so you come up to about 36,000 animals. And then you allow for uh, the clean animals, and, uh, and then the, the extra six of all the clean animals, which, which is probably about 2,800 animals, and you would have about 75,000 creatures, I mean, that would go onto the ark that holds 130,000 sheep. So there's no problem with the size of the ark. Uh, and, and most animals are smaller than sheep. Now, what about those animals that are larger than sheep? Hello, what do you do? You get the babies. You get the little ones. And that's probably what uh, Noah, God sent Noah for all the species. He sent, sent them little ones, little ones that in a year would be old enough to reproduce when they got off the ark. God knew what he was doing. Now, now how do you store all the food for all of those animals? You ever heard of hibernation? I mean, God can, could have put those animals in hibernation, but actually he tells Noah to, to get the food. So some of the animals were fed during that time. The animals that hibernate, hibernated. The others, there, there was food, and there was plenty of room on the ark for the food. I mean, for the food and for the animals. Now, here's where... If I was God, I would have done it differently. Uh, there are a million species of bugs. I would have said, Lord, you did a good job wiping out the roaches and stuff. Let's just leave them. Let's don't put them back on the ark. But Noah wasn't God, and I'm not God, and none of us are God, and God said, put the bugs on the ark. And so he had to gather up a million species of bugs. But bugs are little things, and so there was plenty of room for the, for the bugs. There was plenty of room for the food. Uh, there was plenty of room for Noah and his family. Uh, most conservative uh, engineers, Christian engineers that have looked at this said that only about 80% of the capacity of the ark was used. So there was plenty of room uh, to handle all of these animals. All right, now, let's go to the last few verses, and I want you to look at this tribute that God gives to Noah here. He says, And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. So he tells them to get the food. And thus Noah, this is amazing to me. Listen to this tribute that he gives to Noah. He says, thus Noah did according to all God commanded him, so he did. That is an amazing tribute. He did do all God commanded him. He didn't just do all God commanded him. He did all God commanded him according to the way God commanded him to do it. You know, there are a lot of us that do what God commands us to do because God has to beat us over there to get us to do it, but eventually we get done. If you're a child of God, you're going to get where God wants you to get. You're going to be in the image of Christ whether you like it or not before you, when you're in glory. You're, if you don't like it, you're not going to be there. But, but Noah did everything that God called him to do according to the way God called him to do it. What a testimony. 
I mean, we should all have that testimony. None of us have it. But what a great man Noah had to be to do everything that God told him to do according to all God had commanded. Moses couldn't say that about himself. Elijah couldn't say that about himself. I mean, Jesus could say that. But only Noah, and Noah doesn't say this about himself. God says this about Noah. He did everything that God called him to do according to the way he called him to do it. I mean, think of what he was called to do. You're going to build a ship the size of a battleship, the size of a modern-day battleship with gopher wood. So he had to go out and harvest all the gopher wood to build the ship and transport all of that wood to the location where he was going to build the ship. I mean, that was quite a task to build that massive ship that he had to build. Now, I believe that this society was much more modern than some of the story we hear about the flood and Noah's Ark uh, seemed to indicate. Uh, but I, and I believe he had certain tools that maybe are equivalent to the modern tools we have today. But still, even if you had trucks and you had saws and, and, and all you had were you and your two sons helping you because nobody else was going to help him. I mean, I mean, to do all of that and build a ship the size of a battleship is a pretty uh, strong task. And then to gather up all the food and the supplies for a one-year-long journey on an ark, just to get on that ark. I mean, there would have been a temptation to, when you know everybody's going to be wiped out, everything's going to be destroyed. There would be a temptation just to say, man, I want to be destroyed with them. I don't want to get on an ark. Can you imagine what it was like when Noah got off that ark? Everybody was dead but him and his family and a few animals. But he did everything according to all that God commanded him to do, so he did. Let me tell you, one of the things he did, he preached. He preached. Now, I don't believe for a minute Noah got up in a pulpit like this and he preached. You know how he preached? Well, the author of Hebrews says, says it like this. In Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Noah built the ark. And by preparing the ark, he condemned the world. He condemned the world. Just like I'm getting up here today and saying God is a God of judgment, that's exactly what Noah did by building that ark. I mean, he built an ark that was, that was the only salvation that, uh, from the judgment of God that was coming upon the earth. And everybody that saw that ark, now can you imagine? It had never rained on the earth. And Noah said, is telling everybody that they come up to him and they see him building this big boat. They say, have you lost your mind? You think what his relatives thought about that. I mean, and, and we, we get this idea that Noah had this really strong relationship with God. But, 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 and he had a strong relationship with God. But God didn't speak to him like he spoke to Moses. And he speaks to Noah like six times in the Bible and that's it. Six times in 950 years. So Noah was operating on faith, and he did everything according to the way the Lord instructed him to do it. And he, by doing so, he became a preacher of righteousness. And, and, and he, he could tell everyone, you know, the reason I'm building this ark is because look, just look around. Just look around. I mean... When, when I tell you that it's not going to be long until the great tribulation comes, when I tell you you better hope you get raptured out of here before the great tribulation comes, 
I mean, I'm, 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 I'm telling you that because I look out on this world and I see just how rotten and corrupt it's become and we are in danger, very much in danger as a nation and as a world. God's going to start moving in this world in some horrific ways. And you say that, everybody laugh at you. But friends, it is coming. And it is coming soon. And we had all better get ready. Because God is not going to allow this to go on the way it's going on now without trying to move people to do the right thing. And so... Noah did everything that the Lord told him to do. And nobody, nobody's ever been given a more difficult task than what Noah was given. I mean, Noah poured out his life in preparing that ark in order to save his family and to perpetuate mankind. I mean, I don't think that was his intention. He was just doing what God wanted him to do. But he was the one who perpetuated mankind. Look, if there was no Noah, there would be no you. There would be no me. But there's actually one human being, I I missed out on something there in what I said, whose task in life was much more difficult than Noah's. Jesus built an ark too. He built the ark that saves not only perpetuates mankind, it saves mankind. Uh, and so we'll, we'll talk about that typology a little bit later on. But, but look at all of these acts of God that we see in the Bible. I mean, coming up to Christ and after Christ, from the flood to Christ to after. I mean, the calling of Noah, that was an act of God. It was an act of God. Noah never would have called himself. I mean, the, the floodwaters that destroyed the earth and every living creature on earth, that was an act of God. I mean, once the flood was over and the water subsided, that was an act of God. The repopulation of the earth, the birth of the nation of Israel, that was an act of God. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, that was an act of God. I mean, the punishment for all the sins that have ever been committed in this world by every single human being, uh, the punishment that was laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross, that was an act of God. Your salvation, those who believe my salvation, it is an act of God. It's an act of God whereby I get the Spirit of God in me and I'm born again to new life. And then the great tribulation that's coming, this judgment of fire on this earth, that is an act of God. And it's coming soon. And, I, you know, a lot of people would, will agree that, you know, hey, man, God repopulated the earth. I agree with man, God certainly did that. Uh, God sending in Jesus to die for our sins. I'm certainly agree with that. But God sending a flood to destroy every living creature on this earth. 
uh, theologians estimate, scientists estimate that there were about six, 17 billion people, upwards to 17 billion people on this earth when the flood waters came. Many of those women and children. I mean, would God send a flood to kill women and children? Yes. Yes. Yes, he would. Will God send fire upon this earth to destroy this earth? Yes, he will. It's all coming. God is a God of love, but he's a God of judgment. And he's going to judge this earth again in the great tribulation. Look at verse 17, what it says again in, in, in chapter number 6. I myself am bringing the flood waters on this earth. I myself am going to destroy every living creature on this earth. That's God. That's Jehovah God. That's the God of the New Testament. That's the God of the Old Testament. You don't like it, what I'm saying to you today? I'm not going to say lump it. But if you don't like it, take it up with God. He's the one who said that. Now, that raises the question... Because I, and the reason I think this is such an important study, we're going to start seeing things in the future that are going to be very scary. And you're going to be told it's because of global warming. You're going to be told, oh, God would never do that. You're going to be, instead of trying to figure out what God's trying to show us in these natural disasters, we just write them off as being acts of Mother Nature that have nothing to do with God. And we've got to be real careful with that because I think there's a message in natural disasters. I mean, could the natural disasters that we're seeing today, I mean, that tsunami we saw in Indonesia just recently, could that be an act of God? You better believe it could be an act of God. It is an act of God. It was an act of God. Go with me real quickly over to Psalms 19, and we'll finish with this. I'm sorry, Psalms 29. Here's one of the most profound passages in the entire Bible, profound verses in the entire Bible. Look at Psalm 29, verse number 10. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. He was on his throne when all those people were being destroyed. That's what that's saying. And the Lord sits as king forever. Do you get the message of that? The same God who caused the flood is the same God who sits on his throne today, and he's sovereign over everything that happens on this earth, over everything that happens over on this earth. And so he's sovereign over natural disasters. I mean, just go back in the psalm with me for a minute. Look at verse number 3. It says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, over the flood waters. I mean, he's over the thunder and lightning. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over too many waters. That's flood waters. 
The voice of the Lord is powerful. He can send a flood anytime he wants to. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. At his word, the earth was flooded, and at his word, there can be natural disasters. The windstorms that we see, hurricanes and tornadoes, it's, look at verse number 5. It says, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides. He's over the wildfires. The Lord, voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord is over the earthquakes. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness, and the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. I mean, that's a good place where good people were. The Lord shakes, wherever he wants to shake the earth, he shakes it. The same Lord who makes the deer give birth strips the forest bare. But listen, and this is where we should arrive in our uh, belief about God or the way we look at God and in his temple everyone says glory you understand what that's saying in other words God is good in what he is doing he is righteous in what he is doing even if it's a natural disaster nobody doubts that in heaven and you won't ever doubt it again once you get to heaven. So earthquakes and wildfires and hurricanes or tornadoes, they are not the work of Mother Nature. I'm going to say something really bold here. They are the work of God. There's no such thing as Mother Nature. They are acts of God. Now, at the very least, they come under the permissive will of God, but we overdo that permissive will of God, i got to tell you. I was reading one commentary about, about the flood, and this is an evangelical commentator who said God allowed the waters to come forth from the heavens. He allowed it. He didn't stop it. And apparently things broke loose, and he knew they were going to break loose, and so he allowed it to happen. That is not the way it happened. What does it say in verse 17 of chapter 6? I myself will send flood waters upon this earth now the problem is if god is good then why does god send natural disasters i mean because everything god does has good purposes what good comes out of a natural disaster you know what i can't explain it i'm not god i don't i don't know what god's doing in every natural disaster i knew a, i had a friend of mine who got a new house out of a flood in 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 in, in katrina during a hurricane well to him Hey, man, God was doing good for him. He got a new house. The guy who lost his house didn't think so. People who died didn't think so. But God's got a plan in everybody's life. And he knows how he's going to work good in, when he sends a natural disaster or he allows a natural disaster. He has a good purpose. But let me tell you the overriding purpose. The overriding purpose is to drive people to Jesus Christ before it's too late. Because a natural disaster is nothing compared to the judgment of an eternity in hell. And if it takes natural disasters to shake us up, God send us natural disasters if that's what it takes. To get people to Jesus Christ, that's God's ultimate purpose. In 2 Peter 
Peter says the Lord is long-suffering with mankind. Long-suffering. In other words, he sends these things and he suffers with mankind. He doesn't like doing that. He's long-suffering with mankind, not wishing. His purpose is that he doesn't wish that any perish, but that all come to eternal life. Wow. So you're saying God's in natural disasters? I believe God's in natural disasters. So did our so did all the early church because they were called acts of God. Acts of God for a reason. Because people recognized that God was had control. People say Satan had control, has control over nature. Satan doesn't have control over nature. Well, you can't find that in the Bible. You could see where God allowed uh, gave Satan tools to, to harass Job. I mean, but even then, the fires that destroyed his family is, is called the fire of God. It's not Satan, the fire of Satan. Satan doesn't have control over nature. God is the king of creation, not Satan. So, what about us? What about us? When these natural disasters come, and I believe we're going to see these coming upon our land soon, upon this world soon, we're told that in the Bible, like birth pangs. What happens with birth pangs? They get stronger and they get stronger and they get stronger, and we're heading to that time. And this isn't a negative message. This is a really a positive message. It's a positive message to you that know the Lord because listen to what, go back to Psalms 29, listen to what happens to the children of God in natural disasters. Talk about all these natural disasters in Psalm 29. Look at the last verse, verse number 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. You ain't got to worry about natural disasters. If a tornado comes and take you, take, uh, kills you, we'll say glory. Maybe we won't, but, but we should say glory. How was Elijah taken out of here? In a tornado. In a tornado. And if a tornado comes and wipes our church out today, it's just God putting us up in that whirlwind to take him to heaven. Take us to heaven to be with him, rather. Not to take him to heaven. The Lord gives strength to his people and the Lord will bless his people with peace. You know why? Because the Lord knows how, as Peter says in Second Peter, to deliver the godly out of great judgments and trials and to reserve the wicked for punishment. Not us. Because we're in Jesus Christ. You're righteous. You're going to have peace, and you're going to have strength to face whatever comes our way in 2019 and thereafter. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we don't have a clue of just how mighty and awesome you are. Lord, and you could, every breath we breathe, we owe to you. Everything we have, we owe to you. Lord, just like it was taken away from Job, it could be taken away from us at any time. We don't deserve what we have, Lord. We don't deserve salvation, but because you loved us, you sent Christ to die on a cross for us. Lord, in all the blessings that come with knowing you, once we receive you, Lord, you've given those to us. We just thank you for 
just how good you are to us, Lord, and that we can have peace and strength in these very difficult and wicked days in which we live. And, Lord, we want to be like Noah. We don't want to just do what you've called us to do. We want to do everything you've called us to do according to the way you've called us to do it. Help us to be like Noah in that way, Lord. We can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask that you fill us all so we can be witnesses in these last days. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.
Noah spent a hundred years of his life building an ark according to the instructions that God gave him out of gopher wood in order to save himself and his family and to perpetuate mankind. But that's nothing compared to the ark that Jesus built. The ark of the new covenant. Didn't take a hundred years to build that ark. It was built way back or began to be built way back in eternity before the foundation of the world. In fact, Noah's ark was just part of the plan for the ark of the new covenant. And all of history is part of that plan and all of eternity is part of that plan. And the Ark of the New Covenant wasn't built with gopher wood. It was built with the blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. That's why we come today and we remember him in the Lord's Supper. Paul says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant the ark of the covenant in my blood This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The question I want to leave with you today as we close is the ultimate question for every human soul. And that is, are you in the ark? How many doors were there on that ark? One, And there's only one door where you can enter the Ark of the Covenant, of the New Covenant. And that's through Jesus Christ. Make sure you're there. Make sure you're there. Don't leave today without making sure you're there. Let's close in a song.